All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we talk about the continuing Julio Jones trade saga, Grady Jarrett's contract future. And we'll take a look at Jalen Mayfield and compare him to a former Falcon that may or may not have worked out in Atlanta. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. Formerly at FalFans.com. R.I.P. Still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalFans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And before we get into today's episode, I do want to plug the Peacock and Williamson show, one of the national podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network that gives you that insight on every move, every team from around the NFL. Get the insight from NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson every day on the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Subscribe to Peacock and Williamson podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So today's episode of Locked on Falcons will was originally going to be a Jalen Mayfield scouting report episode. Uh, unfortunately, I want to think a little bit more about Jalen Mayfield. So unless something crazy happens over the weekend, you never know with the Falcons. Uh, that will be the plan on Monday. And we'll also get some additional insights on Jalen Mayfield from some guests Next week, as well as Richie Grant, next week we might even have a guest come back on and talk about Kyle Pitts next week. So certainly a lot of talk about the future of some of these Falcons uh, draft picks. But, you know, we always got to talk about the future of not necessarily draft picks, but Falcons veterans as, uh, you know, Jeff Schultz threw a bit more fire on the fuel or bit more fuel on the fire of the Julio Jones trade talk with his article at the athletic. And we'll get into sort of my takeaways from that. And we'll also get my takeaways from Grady Jarrett speaking to the media. And that will lead us into a conversation about what the Falcons can and will do involving his contract in order to free up the cap space to sign their draft class instead of trading Julio Jones. So we'll talk about that on today's episode. So let's kick things off by talking about the Julio Jones trade talk. Again, Jeff Schultz wrote a column at the athletic on Thursday, trying to clear up some misconceptions about the Falcons offseason plan and whether or not trading Julio Jones is real. You know, the main misconception that it seemed like Jeff was trying to clear up was that the Falcons selection of Kyle Pitts at the top of the 2021 draft class was a sign that the Falcons were all in uh, on this upcoming season and win now mode. And, you know, one of the other issues that Jeff tried to illustrate was that the Falcons salary cap issues are ongoing and very real and thus making the case for why it does still make sense for the Falcons to trade Julio Jones as a way of trying to mitigate those salary cap issues. Now what Jeff didn't say, he didn't say a trade was imminent, but he did mention five teams that would make sense, at least in his eyes, that could pursue Julio Jones via trade, Baltimore, San Francisco, New England, Indianapolis, and the L.A. Chargers. Some of those teams I have myself mentioned on previous episodes as possibilities. So my takeaways aren't that different from what they have been before. We've talked about this a bunch since that April 26th 
episode, April 27th episode after the quote unquote bombshell of Peter King and Albert Breer and Ian Rappaport all simultaneously reporting that Julio Jones could possibly be traded. Um, we've had episodes since then. And, you know, my stance basically stays the same. I think a Julio trade is possible. I think it's unlikely largely because I don't think the market for Julio Jones, as Jeff kind of mentioned, is going to be particularly robust. And if we learned anything from the Falcons draft and not trading back, that it doesn't seem like this team is going to basically make a trade just to make a trade and, or, you know, give a discount to anybody in that regard. Um, But, you know, I think that, Issue is that people tend to have one of three reactions to this type of stuff. The first one is sort of sticking your fingers in your ears and pretending that it's not happening. And some days I certainly feel compelled to want to do that myself. But I think your your best medicine really is to confront this issue head on rather than simply trying to ignore it. And then that typically leads to two other reactions. The second one being basically overreacting in one direction. We're saying oh, there's no possibility of a trade happening. Or the opposite direction of saying, oh, a trade is seemingly imminent. And I would say, like, there's no reason for people to panic. You know, I think the chances of a Julio Jones trade are low, but they're not zero. You know, the number I've sort of settled on is like 20 to 25 percent, which is different from Peter King's number of 60 percent that he presented a week or so ago saying, you know, a trade of Julio Jones by Labor Day was 60-40 in his eyes. I don't know what Jeff's number would be, but seemingly his column would suggest that it's higher than the number I put on it. Um, so I think there is smoke there. You know, that means that there is a fire somewhere. The question really is how big is that fire? Now it could be a very little fire. It it basically could be the type of fire where you didn't clean your, clean your stove well enough after your last meal. And you maybe got a little bit of oil on the, the eye of the burner. And you know, it, it, starts a little fire, but then it kind of puts itself out once the fuel runs out. Or maybe it's the type of fire where you discarded a cigarette in a small trash can and you go, Oh no, there's a fire in trash can, but you can immediately sort of stomp it out yourself. Or maybe, you know, it's you open the garage door and your whole garage is on fire and you have to call the fire department. You know, time will tell on the size of this fire. But again, I I don't think, you know, my personal opinion is I don't think it's a huge fire. I think it's something that you could put out yourself in, in, in this analogy. So I don't think the Falcons will trade Julio Jones. Um, but I don't think this is also a story, as I've mentioned before, that's just simply going to go away as much as people may want it to. You know, I think this is going to be a story that's going to continue to pop up. And whether you try to ignore it or not, you know, and or getting angry every time it keeps coming up, I, I don't think it's going to solve the problem. I think, again, I think this story ends one of two ways. The first one being the Falcons actually trade Julio Jones. And of course that opens up a whole nother can of worms. And the second way being the Falcons are no longer able to trade Julio Jones, which won't happen until November when the trade deadline hits. And, you know, even in the scenario where I envision the Falcons restructuring Grady Jarrett's contract to free up the cap space, that they need to sign their rookies. That still isn't solving their cap problems. You're going to be in the exact same predicament after you sign your rookies heading into training camp that you are right now, um, where you're going to be very tied up against the salary cap and you're going to still need to be able to create space heading into the regular season, creating a cushion so that you can make potential moves during the regular season if injuries happen, as well as being able to make moves at the end of the training camp uh, off the waiver wire or via trades elsewhere so that you can improve your roster. We've seen, you know, previous 
coaching staffs, Mike Smith, they traded for Dominique Foxworth at the end of his first training camp. We saw the Falcons in 2015 and Dan Quinn trade for Andy Levitri and then bring in a whole bunch of other offensive linemen and Bryce Harris, Gino Gretkowski, Ben Garland, and Jake Long, along with some other players. And so moves will be made and the Falcons are going to need cap space to, to do that. And trading Julio Jones would certainly give them not only the cap space to sign their rookie class, as well as the cap space to make all of the moves that they need to make between now and basically January if they want to. And that's why I don't think we can just simply dismiss it. And for me, you know, in the scenario I'm envisioning, like they'll restructure Grady Jarrett and they'll wind up probably restructuring Julio Jones during the summer in order to give them that cushion and that cap space that they need going into the regular season. But again, this this could pop right up again in August and then September should, you know, one of those five teams we talked about above, uh, you know, lose their number one wide receiver. That guy goes on IR or the PUP or whatever. And all of a sudden, don't be surprised if you start hearing, well, you know, Keenan Allen got hurt. Maybe the Chargers should look to trade for Julio Jones. You know, so I think that's really what's at stake. You know, I think Julio trading Julio alleviates the Falcons 2021 salary cap concerns. I don't think it really alleviates their salary cap concerns beyond 2021 because of the dead money that they're going to have to carry next year. But again, if you are of the mindset of, as I've explained in previous episodes, if you're of the mindset, at least this regime is of the mindset that, you know, Julio is not going to be on the team in 2022, regardless, then, you can justify making a trade now and get something for nothing at this point. Now I'm not saying that's the right move. I'd absolutely hate that if that was the move, but I'd certainly understand it. So I don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to talk about this. We got 40 some uh, episodes between now and the start of training camp. And I'm sure at least a couple of those may be devoted to the latest rumors, the latest developments or lack thereof on the Julio Jones trade saga. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but for the rest of today's Lockdown Falcons, we'll know exactly how it goes because we're going to be talking about Grady Jarrett. And that will allow us to get a little bit deeper into restructuring him or extending him. And some of the things that he said to the media uh, on Thursday as we move ahead on today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action because bet online gives you all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. And there's no time like the month of May to get started at bet online. The NHL playoffs have already begun. The NBA playoffs are starting very shortly. The second leg of the triple crown, the Preakness was run last weekend. And of course, baseball season is in full swing and you track all the action at bet online. And it's not just sports because bet online even covers awards, TV, shows and reality TV get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That means if you deposit 200 bucks, you get a hundred dollars in free money to play with again, by using that promo code locked on for that 50% welcome bonus bet online, your online sports book experts. So both Grady Jarrett and Matt Ryan spoke to the local media this week. Nothing really to glean from what Matt Ryan said. Um, he also did a you know media tour, I guess, uh, doing Rich Eisen as well. You know, I, I thought Matt Ryan handled the questions about his future and dealing with the looming possibility of being replaced with a quarterback very well. 
So I don't really have anything else to add very mature in his approach to that. You know, I thought Grady Jarrett did a good job outlining his sort of personal goals, pro bowl, all pro, all that sort of stuff while also balancing that with his team goals, which, you know, winning championships and whatnot. So that's what you want from a leader. You know, there's been much talk over the years about the lack of leadership within the Falcons locker room, you know, from certain prominent individuals. And, you know, one person that you've never heard people question lack of leadership is Grady Jarrett. And, you know, that kind of leads me back to Julio Jones, because I know some people, not me, but some people would look at Julio Jones tendency of skipping voluntary workouts as a sign of not having leadership this not helping his cause of, you know, staying in Atlanta because there's a history in this league where coaches don't really understand the word voluntary to them. Voluntary means mandatory. And we know that when a new regime takes over, sometimes in, in other instances, they will sour on a star player from a previous regime because Again, they don't understand the term voluntary. Now, let me be clear in saying that if the Falcons justify trading Julio Jones because he skips voluntary workouts, I would think that was very dumb. But I do know that's a thing, a dumb thing, but it does exist in this league, especially with coaches that take over and don't necessarily have a history with a player. Now, the hope is that given Arthur Smith's age, that he may be a little bit less old school than some older coaches that might come in and have that sort of thought process. Um, But Getting back to Grady Jarrett, you know, the big thing for me was talking a little bit about his contract status. He was asked about it. He kind of deflected and said, you know, if you want to talk to me about my contract, all those questions go to Todd France, my agent, big Todd, as he said, Uh, and I believe that was Grady's stance two years ago when he was franchise tagged as well. So um, getting back to the Falcons cap situation, extending Grady Jarrett would probably be ideal. But as I've explained before, I don't think it's likely to happen you know, Jeff Schultz added this in his column as well, that extension talks have not started with Grady Jarrett, which is not a positive sign that something is imminent on that front, you know, and while I don't necessarily have an idea if an extension is coming, doesn't seem likely, at least in my eyes, given that we're, you know, the clock is ticking on at some point, you would assume that they would start having those conversations now, as opposed to waiting. And, it doesn't really mesh with this team's sort of frugal approach to free agency um, where they would basically limit their spending. And then a few months later, then decide to make Grady Jarrett one of the 10 highest paid non quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, to me, the analogy I would use is that that to me would be like watching someone at the checkout counter at a grocery store, pulling out, you know, an endless amount of uh, coupons and then counting out exact change in pennies. And then they leave, they hop in their car and drive to some high-end steakhouse and, and drop $50 on the T-bone steak. That, you know, I don't expect that behavior out of the same person. And so that's why you hear me say things like certain moves that this team seems to be making, if that were to be the case, would seem like this regime is making things up as they go along. And, and again, that's never been about me bad-mouthing this current regime. It's just been more about waiting and seeing before I, you know, heap praise on them for the, the the good job that they have been done so far. Right. I'm, I'm basically, I still have questions and I'm just waiting for the answers. And I've seen people praising them over the last couple of months, the front office we're talking about. And what I want to make clear is I, I don't think the front office is doing, I don't think Terry Fontenot is doing a bad job. I just tend to be a little bit more patient 
and want to wait and see how it all ha- plays out. I want to see what happens on the field with Arthur Smith and, and this coaching staff. Then I want to see what happens next offseason as they pretty much have to re-navigate these same troubled salary cap waters uh, before I'm willing to heap too much praise on this new regime for a job well done. So my hope is that they do decide to restructure Grady Jarrett sooner rather than later. I'm hoping for an early June time frame, you know, before the Falcons have their mandatory mini camp that starts on June 8th. You know, last year we had the rookie sign. I think the latest we've seen, at least in recent history, you know, in late June, right before the training camp. But I think a lot of that was due to COVID stuff. You know, prior to that, the most notable delayed timeline came in 2018 when the Falcons got, I think, all but one of their draft class signed in May. And that one player was Calvin Ridley that didn't sign until the beginning of July. Um, So as far as I'm aware, though, you know, maybe none of the Falcons current draft class has the same agency as Calvin Ridley. So maybe that would mitigate it. So we'll see how it all plays out. But again, I would tend to stress patience. And speaking of patience, you know, we'll talk about how much patience the Falcons might need to have with Jalen Mayfield, as he reminds me a bit of a former Falcons offensive line bust that had some red flags and whether or not those red flags caused me a little bit of concern with him and whether or not he has the skill set to overcome those issues. Um, And speaking of overcoming issues, what about those Atlanta Braves, right? You know, they got off to a little bit of a slow start. They're they're slowly piecing things together. Maybe you're not a Braves fan. Maybe you're a fan of one of the other MLB teams. But, of course, the Lockdown Podcast Network has you covered in that regard because there's a daily podcast devoted to your favorite MLB team, including the Atlanta Braves with the Lockdown Braves podcast. And you can find them all on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So I do want to apologize for not giving a Jalen Mayfield scouting report today. I kind of wrapped up his film on Thursday afternoon. and I kind of need to let it marinate for a little bit longer than a couple of hours before doing a full breakdown. You know, the positive is that when we get to subsequent Falcons draft picks this year, uh, probably won't watch as many games as I did with Kyle Pitts and right. Richie Grant and and Jalen Mayfield. So there should be a little bit of a quicker turnaround on the episodes in future weeks, but I didn't want to leave you high and dry with lacking Mayfield content on today's pod. I want to talk about something that I probably won't have as much time to talk about when we take a deeper look on Mayfield in his actual scouting report, presumably on Monday, uh, because I try to keep those things under 40 minutes and, you know, we'll see, (laughs) you know, I, I, after watching him in the last two years, I still question the pick. Um, I wound up watching cutups, including some all 22 of about five of his 15 games, over the last two years, three full games. So I saw every snap in those games and then condensed versions of five games. So I, I would estimate that all in all, I probably saw about half of his snaps over the last two years. Uh, so I feel like I have a good feel for the player. It just, I need a little bit more time to think about the, the floor, the ceilings, the comps, and want to do a little bit more research in there. And then obviously, you know, organizing how I want to break it down because, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's not going to, it's going to be much more, negative than positive, or at least we're going to talk a lot more about his weaknesses than his strengths. Let's say that, you know, I would say watching his games, I probably came away thinking the 2019 bowl game against Alabama was probably his best game. I wouldn't go as far to say that he played especially well in that game. I thought he started strong and then kind of faded late, but I would say he saw, I saw a lot more of the flashes that you want to see a lot more of the potential, a little bit more good in that game 
compared to others that I watch. I think the main issue I have with Mayfield and why I don't have as rosy an opinion on him is there are certain red flags that correspond to Peter Kahn's that I had similar issues watching Peter Kahn's over the years. And I, I think I talked about this on the pod previously, but Thomas Dimitrov did a podcast appearance. I want to say it was the athletic with Robert Mays uh, before the draft. And they asked him about revisiting one of his biggest draft mistakes. And he talked about Peter Kahn's. And I think Dimitrov gave an answer along the lines of maybe questioning Peter Kahn's football character, not quite measuring up, not saying he's a bad guy, but saying something along the lines like his love for the game wasn't necessarily strong enough to overcome the adversity that he dealt with during his time in Atlanta, whether it was injury or just struggling on the football field. Um, and I, obviously I can't speak to that. You know, I, I won't dismiss that as a factor, but very much in my, uh, very much like in my take surrounding Vic Beasley, you know, I think it's easy for people to sort of focus on the lack of want to, the lack of work ethic, et cetera, i.e. the off-field issues as the reasons for causing the downfall of the player. But I think, you know, if you pay attention, there were some serious and notable on-field issues in both Beasley's case and, and in Kahn's case that led to that player's demise, at least in my eyes, at least getting the ball rolling that maybe the off-field issues only magnified. And so for Kahn's, to me, those main on-field issues were the lack of athleticism and, and quote-unquote passive hands. You know, with Cons, he was hurt his last year at Wisconsin, missed the end of his junior season that final year at Wisconsin with a dislocated ankle. That injury kept him out of the combine, did not allow him to work out at his pro day. But once he got to the NFL, you know, within a year or two, it became pretty clear that there were some limitations in terms of athleticism that limited his ability as a an effective blocker. And part of me wonders, had he been healthy and worked out, maybe some of those athletic limitations would have been exposed and could have warned us and give us a little bit of foresight that maybe Peter Kahn's was not as highly touted or was not as deserving of being as highly touted as he was going into that draft where a lot of people saw him as a late first round talent and ultimately wound up being a, a second round pick for the Falcons. And with Mayfield, obviously you have a similar injury with a high ankle sprain that caused him to miss all but two of this past year's games. He did not test well at his pro day, you know, and I know from past experience talking with people like justice Mosqueda, who's probably most famous for his forced players metric, which tries to encapsulate and, and be a predictive model for uh, pass rushers by looking at their athletics um, to try to predict their production potential at the next level in the NFL. And basically saying like, if you hit certain athletic thresholds, you know, you're much likelier to be a productive pass rusher in the NFL. And I know for the players that have gone on to have productive NFL careers as pass rushers that didn't quite meet those thresholds. I know there have been multiple cases from talking with justice that some of those players were players that might not have tested as well as they could have because they had dealt with an injury at some point in the previous year, the previous summer uh, recovering from. And so maybe their athleticism wasn't necessarily at peak ability, you know, a nine to 12 months later, um, you know, going into the combine. And I do wonder if that's a contributing factor to why Mayfield tested poorly. You know, maybe he wasn't in the best of shape coming out of the rehab for his injury. Uh, now, I know he was back to practicing in November, so you would think that that would give him plenty of time to prepare for his March Pro Day, but it's certainly worth considering. And then when it comes to Mayfield's athleticism, you know, he didn't never struck me as a particularly athletic guy, 
but it did seem like he was a little bit more athletic than his testing indicated. And I do think watching him in 2019, again, not a great athlete, but he did look a little bit more athletic than he did in 2020. And then that does raise questions over whether or not the sort of stop and start nature of the college offseason last year with things being canceled and uncanceled due to COVID, you know, maybe led to him not necessarily being in peak shape heading into the season. And potentially that could have carried over into the offseason. Who knows at this point? But, you know, the point I'm trying to raise is, you know, Peter Collins wound up being a lesser athlete than we thought. And maybe we could have seen that had he tested. And I think Mayfield is a lesser athlete than we thought. But unlike Collins, you know, we now, given his poor testing, should have at least a suspicion. Now, the second red flag is hand usage. And, you know, I wrote about this a bunch at FileFans.com during my Moneyball game reviews, especially back in 2013, when it was very clear that Collins was not progressing as much as we had hoped. And I used to write about how Collins would ease his way into blocks. And when you play on the interior, you have to be aggressive. As I've explained before in the pod, I think I talked about this on the Matt Hennessy scouting report last year, but the speed of the engagement between interior players, guards, centers, and tackle and defensive tackles is much faster than it is when you play on the outside inside often is the case. The aggressor gets that competitive advantage because of how quickly things happen. And so therefore you kind of need to have that violent punch. And Khans didn't have that. He, you know, he was essentially pushing guys instead of punching guys. You know, he wasn't striking guys. And, you know, you guys can tell, like, if, if you're trying to stop a 300-pound guy running at you full speed, you know, pushing him may not be enough to stop his momentum. Now, maybe if you punch him, you got a chance to slow him down. And Khans was just never good at being that aggressive, being that guy that initiated contact on that engagement. He was ease his way into blocks and rather than trying to shock the defender and control that engagement. And to me, that was the second big reason why Peter Collins failed on the field, off st- off field stuff be damned. And, you know, I think that's an area of weakness that Mayfield has. Unlike on the interior, you know, offensive tackles and edge rushers have a little bit more time to set things up. It doesn't happen as fast on the outside as it does on the inside. They have multiple steps, you know, offensive tackles with their kick slide, pass rushers with their, you know, first three or four steps, uh, uh, you know, upfield to co- sort of size each other up and kind of figure out what the other guy is, is doing. That's why when you hear me talk about developing successful pass rushers, you talk about me, you hear me talk about having a plan. You need to have a plan A if you're a pass rusher. But the truly great pass rushers, the guys that can take it to the next level, also have a plan B, you know, that counter move where they can sort of see things developing in those opening moments, you know, after the snap and sort of diagnose what the other guy is doing. You know, the offensive tackle in that case, what he's doing in sort of, okay, he's, he's about to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to counter with this. And you, the often the thing, the thing goes with the offensive tackle. They have to sort of size up the defensive end. Oh, he's about to pull this move. I'm going to hit him with this. And I think with Mayfield, when he was playing outside, he had a tendency to let the, the edge rusher initiate the engagement often leading to guys getting into his chest and because of Mayfield's shorter arms and being a little bit more of a wind up on his punch, that led to a lot of the problems that Mayfield had in press protection. The short arms, slow punches, exposed his chest and allowed, you know, players to beat him with long arms and bull rushes and whatnot. Now, if you're a superb athlete, if you're a top end athlete like a Jake Matthews, like a Matt Gano, at times you can get away with that in the NFL because you have the ability to sort of coil those hips, recover your balance if you lose that initial engagement and then, you know, engage a second time. But Mayfield is more like Caleb McGarry where he's going to struggle to do that, in my opinion, at the next level. 
you know, I think Mayfield was able to get away with that in college because we know that the level of athlete that he faces in college level is not going to be the same as he does in the NFL level. And he won't be able to get away with that. And you take a guy that has a relatively light punch and late hands and you put him inside a guard where you need to have a strong punch and fast hands. That's not necessarily a recipe for success with Jalen Mayfield. So that's a red flag for me. It's not to say that he can't improve, you know, but you know, many, many years and multiple decades of experience of evaluating these offensive linemen has taught me over the years that, you know, where a player is poor in a certain area, rarely does he become good at that area in the NFL. It's not unprecedented, but it's just rare. And so to me, that's not the best of bets. Now we'll see if May Mayfield sort of, overcomes that and can improve those things. We'll see how good an offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford is. If he can coach those things up, we'll see if, if Jalen Mayfield continues to work off the field with guys like Keenan Forney and OL masterminds and to improve his game. Can he improve? Absolutely. Will he improve? That's the question. I think that's a big question. You know, my hope is getting back to what Dimitrov said about Peter Kahn's with the off field stuff being, you know, the key to his downfall, so to speak. My hope is that the off-field stuff will be the key to Mayfield's success because at least watching him on the football field, I don't get the impression that he has a lack of love for the football game. You know, he's very feisty. He's very physical. Those are his most outstanding traits. He's going to get after guys. He's going to play to and beyond the whistle. And I think if that person playing personality translates to other areas, I think I can be a little bit more optimistic about his future. So I'm not trying to paint this doom and gloom portrait. I'm just trying to explain why I have my concerns and I could be definitely wrong about Jalen Mayfield five years from now, you know, he could develop into, you know, over the next five years, he can develop into a good starter. And then, you know, in, come the 2026 draft, the Falcons are taking another sort of raw, unpolished, offensive lineman. And I'll be on a podcast saying, look, you know, Jalen Mayfield was a raw, unpolished offensive lineman, but Dwayne Ledford, et cetera, were able to coach him up. And, you know, that means that I'm not going to be as questioning about the next raw piece of clay and uh, saying that that player may be a bad bet uh, to develop in the future because Jalen Mayfield winds up working out. I hope that's, you know, what, what happens in the future. And so, you know, I, I want to end it by saying like that, that's all I, you know, try to do on this podcast. I try to make it clear that I don't say things just to say them. If I say a thing, it's usually because that there's X, Y and or Z reason. And I like to explain X, Y, and Z reasons. So for me, like that's one of the reasons why I tend to have a little bit more of a negative opinion about Jalen Mayfield is because there's a lot of carryover with Peter Kahn's with this. And I've, I feel like I have seen this movie before. I know how it ends. Now I, I could be wrong. There could be a twist ending at the, you know, at the halfway marker or, or something in this movie, uh, in this proverbial movie. So we'll see how it all plays out. But I just want to explain that so that when you hear me continue to question that move, there's a reason like you understand exactly why I have some of these concerns about Jalen Mayfield and why I don't tend to give the most praise. Cause again, I've, I feel like I've seen this movie before, but we'll see how it all plays out. We'll see how the Julio Jones stuff plays out. We'll see how the Grady Jarrett stuff all plays out. Um, still a lot of questions going on with this Falcon team as we move forward this season. But uh, you know, I, you know, despite some concerns, some questions and some misgivings, you know, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. You know, I haven't been, I wasn't certainly this excited a, a year ago uh, about the upcoming season. Um, but you know, I'm optimistic despite some of my concerns that some of these things will get to September, October, November, et cetera. And we'll be like, Hey man, you know, that wasn't a thing, right? When Julio Jones drops, you know, 163 yards on, on Washington in week five or whenever we're playing them, um, you know, 
I would love to be able to throw out, you know, the, the take of, you know, imagine wanting to trade Julio Jones. Like, that's what I want to say. But we'll, we'll see how it all plays out, guys. I appreciate you for tuning in. I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, before we duck out of here, I do want to let you guys know about the Locked On Today podcast. If you're wondering who's got you covered, you know, I got you covered on the Falcon stuff. But who's got you covered on the rest of sports? Of course, host Peter Bukowski has you covered on the Locked On Today podcast. And you can find the Locked On Today podcast every morning in under 20 minutes, all the sports news that you need. And you can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So if you have any feedback that you want to provide to me on anything I've talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons, Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it guys. Have a great weekend till then.